So I'm glad that the next generation realized that they needed to redeem Worf after the disaster of Birthright. Yeah. I wasn't exactly expecting... I, I mean, I remembered this whole K-Less thing, but I didn't remember the sort of genesis of it, which was that he was feeling weird after yeah, his yeah, sort of yeah. experiences in Birthright. So I think that that's fine, and it goes about as far as it needs to go. Yeah, kind of explains. You had said, like, oh, it seems like he's parroting, you know, he's parroting something that he doesn't quite believe at, or they're showing him as more, you know, zealous than he really is or has ever shown to be. And, you know, here he's basically saying, like, yeah, I was. In a way, he was kind of putting up a front. You know, he has... He has he has this faith in this culture that he has some doubts in, but he can't show any of that to these people he's teaching about it. Yeah, and so in a way, he's kind of pushing those to the side, and again, being hyper Klingon. But you know, he knows full well that that's not who he is. Yeah, and I guess you know, there's there's a part of me that really likes this episode, and there's a part of me that really doesn't like it. You know, because I think that I can see that. Yeah. We did have to follow a birthright. You know, that that was necessary, right? We needed to do something with that because I think that that, you know, as as I said when we talked about it, I just really feel like they they sort of messed Worf up a lot in that episode and I was sort of not feeling great yeah. about his character. So I think that I'm glad that they sort of realized that, I think, and sort of backtracked a little bit. Uh it kind of makes him a hypocrite, but again, we're all hypocrites and whatever. Maybe that's the message. I don't know. I, I guess my problem with this episode is is that um it it kind of forgets that and goes in a completely weird direction. Yeah. I don't know. What what do you make of all this? I mean, I really liked this episode because I thought it was a I mean, it's a it This episode is basically, you know, what happens if the second coming happens, you know. I think sure. it, I I like that they did a Jesus story without doing anything that even remotely paralleled, you know, yeah. the actual story of Jesus. Um, because, you know, you don't want it. Kales is not supposed to be that, you know, he's not supposed to be a direct analog. But at the same time, you know, I think they use that concept of a religious figure coming back, which is a very common one, to ask some interesting questions about identity. You know, th- where they go with the episode, again, having him be just a clone, and does that make him... Kales or not is a I like that question well I think there's a couple things there I think number one there's a little bit of cultural bias in your assumption that this is a Jesus story well I, I'm just you know I, I think this no, that's is more, fair I, I mean, think this is more like Buddha or something you I know, mean I, 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 I don't you know, I, I say that just in the sense that you know you have you know in Christianity there is that doctrine of you know Jesus died but will come back in at some point you know and that's not as directly a uh, I'm not familiar with any direct uh, analog of that in Buddhism. But I think that there's... He's a bunch of things, though, is the thing. Well, I think that's the point. I think it's not one thing, right? Yeah. I think there's elements of Buddhism in here. I think there's elements of Christianity. Uh, frankly, I think there's also elements of, 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 of Judea. I mean, you know, Judeo-Christian religions in general. Really, any, relation, any religion that has a major figure at its right. center. Which they all Yeah, do. exactly. So you can, yeah. I um, mean, maybe not Judaism, but yeah. Well, God, I guess. Elijah is supposed to come back. Is he? Yeah. That's oh. why at Passover you leave a glass, uh, uh, a place setting that's empty for Elijah. Oh, that guy owes me 20 bucks, so he better come back soon. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just... We need to talk about the Klingons. I just... I think I like Klingons. Why? I don't know, but they just do it for me. I, I, I mean, know you hate Klingon I don't, episodes. I don't hate them. I just find them sort of tedious. Okay. I, I, I'm and not... And expound on that. I'm not the biggest fan of Klingons because I'm not a fan of... I'm not a fan of humorless people who are proud of the fact that they're humorless. And I just find the whole concept of Klingon... You know, I will say that the next generation has a much more subtle view of Klingons than I had remembered. You know, I think with episodes like Redemption, you really get a sense that there is a cultural rot at the core of the Klingon Empire, which is 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 definitely a problem. I mean, no, go ahead. Well, I would say I like the fact that I, I I mean, you say they're proud of their. Well, the thing with Klingon is this is a culture that's kind of in decline. Glory days are over and start. At some point, I need to correct you about the name of the Klingon homeworld, but it's not going to be today. What is it? 
I don't want to tell you. Okay. Well, um, it's Kronos. Kronos. Um, well, at some point in Klingonos, um, they <laughs> no. Um, again, Star Trek Six, we saw the Klingons nearly get wiped out, or very, you know, if it wasn't for the intervention of the Federation, you know, you know, the the, the Klingons would have been spread far out, and they would have had nothing. Um, now we see them. What it means to be a Klingon is changing. There have been a lot of political upheavals in the past, you know, while that we've even just seen in this series. Um, and I see the Klingon Empire as really falling apart. Yeah. And so their pride is a, it's almost a sad pride because they're proud of something that doesn't exist anymore. And I think the, I like that the Klingons are a very conflicted species in generally and that they all seem to have this major conflict between their ideals and their like you don't get the sense it says the Vulcans don't really angst about the fact that they may not be logical or they right. you know they just it's something they do it's who they are it's not particularly you know even Spock Spock has had his struggles between logic and emotion yeah but it has not been this big broody thing that right. is, you know consumed and we've had episodes on episodes I mean you know, Worf's general concept of how do I deal with honor? You know, all of the Klingons have their own different idea of that, and they're all very, they're very torn about it. They have a empire that's passing into decadence that doesn't have honor, in which you kind of really need to act dishonorably in order to survive. But that's going against you know the culture, so you have this face of honor. And I I I don't know what I really get from all the Klingon episodes is just how shattered the culture is. Well, I think yeah, I think that's definitely true, and I love I- that about it. I guess I guess for me, you know, this is sort of crystallizing why I don't like the Klingons or or why yeah. I sort of get kind of tired of Klingons is that I think that there's a there's a there's a strain in, in Star Trek fandom which which I think doesn't get that um, and just sort of like yeah Klingon likes yeah. to dress up as Klingons because Klingons are awesome um, w- which I find kind of tiresome and I also think that I don't know Klingons to me are sort of like teenagers in a way and I'm not interested in the problems of teenagers I don't I don't think that they're real problems in a sense. Do you know what I mean? Like Klingons are very interested in saving face and Klingons are very interested in, in honor above yeah. all and blah, blah, blah. And this, that, and the other thing. And I just think that it's, it's very, very transparent that they don't actually care about it and that all of their problems are sort of self-inflected. You know, if, if, if they just sort of got away from this idea that, they need it's you know it's it's almost like a macho culture even yeah, though it's yeah, yeah. not because women are, are as strong as men even though women can't be on the council but whatever uh and so like there's that kind of element to it as well which is yeah. kind of like this this very aggressive uh, i don't want to say masculinity but but it is in a sense i, I know what you mean yeah and um I just I, I find it very tiresome where it's just kind of like you feel like you want Picard to just sort of shake them and go, listen, you guys can't do this. Just stop. Well, this is I mean, I feel like this episode actually does address that, though, because the uh, thing of Kales is saying that, you know, well, honor is a good thing. Um, and I, I don't think we can I don't think you or I would say that acting honorably in an abstract sense is a bad thing. I think Kales is saying that what honor is Nobody really knows anymore. The Klingons have lost their way. They're holding on to an image of honor that's not quite right. That maybe sure. is more based on, you know, again, machoism um, rather than, you know, a moral honor in a way. Um, you know, I, I think Kales certainly believes that there is glory in battle. I mean, you need, no Klingon will ever say that there is no glory in battle. And that's fine. It's a warrior culture. Let's go with that. Um, but I think that's incorrect, but but that's okay. You know, that that's again for, you know, maybe for you, for your, for your and my culture, that doesn't make sense. That's not a, uh, thing that you or I would agree with but you know again talking about Klingons. Well, I'm even, I mean, I'm even thinking specifically of, of, of Klingons in deep space nine. Okay. But, We'll get to that when we I get say, to we'll that. We'll get to that when we get to I need to just nine. like put that on a button because I keep saying that over and over again. <laughs> oh, if we were only a morning zoo. Um, I get, well, I, you I get know, what you're saying. But but, but, but that's the thing. Like no, nobody seems to agree what me and Klingon means. And again, you said this is – you know we've talked about how this is a series that – well, Klingon means this and Vulcan means this and you know while the series has been better with going for different – 
interpretations of again we had a Ferengi scientist we had a Klingon scientist sure. you know last week sure. um, while the sh- show is making it clear that there are variances I think there is a general cultural tradition to being Klingon that the episode is saying you know does have merit to it and that the Klingons today seem to have drifted from okay I, that's I don't disagree with any of that the, the question is do you care if they do have or not I right guess. I don't and that's fair which may just be a I mean you know I I, I have to uh, I have to critique the episodes on the basis of whether or not they're good television not yeah. whether or not I find them personally satisfying and I think you know so that's number one and I do want to try and get away from that because w- whether or not I like Klingons is sort of incidental to the real point of the show which is you know us trying to figure out if Star Trek is still relevant I think that, that my problem with this, though, is that all of that is fine, but but well, well, K less is the very definition of an empty suit, and it he's you know you talk about how Klingons are valuing the appearance of honor above all else. Well, isn't that exactly the solution that they come up with at the end? Is to, and they yeah. don't seem none of them seem to realize it and in fact Worf seems to be very self-congratulatory about the fact that he came up with this idea when in effect what they're doing is papering over the problems in Klingon society with a figurehead that isn't real. Well, they, they see number 1 I we're probably going to have to talk about is this really Kalos or not? Because No, it's not. I cuz I was going to say I I don't really know, know what the difference is. And my question well, the, the, well, I mean, because at this point, while there was a historical Kalos, what Kalos represents is not, you know, a flesh and blood person, but again, these ideas, this philosophy, and Kalos 2 that we have in this episode is genetically identical to Kalos, and he's programmed with all of the teachings basically inherent to him. And he's going to, we assume, Extrapolate because he's acting pretty. But that doesn't much make him Kalis. well. But but here's the thing: he makes them the religious Kalis rather than the historical Kalis. And well, which, actually, which think, is more important to a religion, the religious version of it? Well, I think that. Well, okay, but I think that that maybe we're sort of talking across purposes here because when I talk about the real Kalis, I'm talking about the actual person who was alive. Yeah, I'm not talking about the historical Kalis. I'm not talking about the religious Kalis. I'm talking well, the about re- the real person who was alive is the historical Kalis. Really, it's the per- it's the person who lived. Well, there no. was a, there was a Klingon who was born. His name was Kalis. He did a bunch of shit. Well, I guess. He, okay, well, but, let, let, let me ask you this question. So, when, so we have this story of this Batleth. Well, wait a second. Let, let's. Okay. Let, I don't want to okay. drop this yet because I think that there's a there's a fundamental misunderstanding of how you're using the word historical. Because when I think of something that's historical, I think of a constructed narrative. I don't think of an actual person who lived. And so, to okay. me, saying the historical Kalas is the real Kalas, I think is exactly the wrong way to put that. And it's the historical Kalas, outside of all the religious connotations, you know, I'm sure that there are sort of secular histories of okay, Kalas fair. that have been written in the past. That's a constructed narrative as much as the religious one. And yes, it's based more on fact probably than 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 the religious myths that have built up in around Kalas yeah. in the past 1500 years. But w- when I say that this, this isn't the real Kalas, there was an actual person who lived and yeah. but I'm not this, buying that this is that guy. Well, at the, obviously that real person who lived unless we're talking about cryogenics, which is not the case here, um is long dead. Yeah, I mean I think the episode makes right. it clear that you know, that configuration of Adams that was in a flesh and blood person that – or Klingon, I don't know. Are we not allowed to say person for Klingon? No, you can. Um, That's fine. You know, that, they're, that they're, was in a people. flesh and blood cl- person named Kayless who so – let, so let's 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 talk about this Batleth because okay. I think this is important before what the significance of Kayless is because – so when we see this Batleth, he tells the story about, oh, I took my hair and I – Set it on fire, and then and it's this wonderful imagistic story. And you know, all of the stories that he tells are these great parables with all of this meaning in them, and yeah. all this very. And that, frankly, is where the religious insight has come from. They have not, you know, the re, the real Kalis. If let's pretend that he actually did did tell this person sure. with the wind, you know, okay, stand outside, you know. It doesn't matter if that person actually existed or not, if that story actually happened or not, because the truth of that story that, again, you can't fight the wind, you're not going to beat the wind, that's the important, that's the theological insight that they are to get from that. And that's frankly more than the 
actual Kalos, the real Kalos, who may or may not have – in other words, the legendary Kalos is running the church as it is. So yeah. it doesn't really – you actually – the well, real I, Kalos has no power. Well, like, yeah, I think so. But I think that there's a – I think there's a – there's a thi- there's a I don't know. There's a, there's a seed here at the heart of it, which is that you know we're talking around Kalos and we're talking around the clone Kalos as if he is just an empty vessel. And I think in a sense he is, but I think in a sense he's not because – you know, okay. Let let for as a thought experiment. Let's say that you know I clone you, and I'm able to download your Twitter feed into your brain to yeah. to make your personality come back or something. And and so to me, it's like yeah, okay, that's fine. It wouldn't work exactly, but I would probably get kind of close. Well, I but but at the same time, the thing that 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 is that is kind of I think the the second part of this is that. The Kaylas that's here in the sort of like cloned Richard that would be yeah. here as well. It's Kaylas's Twitter feed, right? It's Kaylas's Twitter feed, and it would be he like the K- the Kaylas that is there. I don't want to um, discount. I don't want to like other him. He's a person. He's there. Yeah. He exists, and so and he ha- well. The thing is, I would say that any public figure is their Twitter feed in a lot of ways. In other words, you have your public face and your private face, oh, sure, yeah. and you have your kind of brand let's say and you have your inner life yeah. i mean Kalis is much more sure of his brand than he is about his inner life the Kalis that we see um we don't really get much of a sense of what his inner life is but we do get glimpses of it in a in a sense isn't Kalis kind of like data i mean maybe or maybe not i don't know i mean because he is Someone who thinks he's something else. I mean, Data in the well, episode tells this story to Worf. Which, actually, I found this story fascinating because this is kind of what I've been saying all along about Data. You know, again, he says, I was told I was an android and that I would not, out, you know, grow my programming. Right. But I chose to believe that I – I've always said, you know, Data has emotions. Data has feelings. He's been told the entire time, well, you don't have emotions. And he just hasn't been able to – kind of make that leap yet you know even though we have seen demonstrably data having emotion he's not gonna gush into paroxysm of joy upon seeing somebody that he hasn't seen for a while but he's gonna have an emotion about that sure it's gonna be a very subtle one he's gonna have feelings about that so you know i think i guess the episode is about how we become more than our programming in a way in other words this calus that we have yeah we're to think that he is so again, there's, you know, he just was blinked away and then, you know, thousands of years later blinked back, you know, or there is some kind of, I mean, because that would be what would be needed for, in other words, the real Kalis to come back. Sure. Some kind of, but, um, he, well, they even, I mean, they even say in this episode, you know, I forget, I think it's, is it Riker that says, you know, is, is he, there would be some sort of a supernatural something going on here and Worf kind of elides the question and kind of says, well, I don't know, you know, yeah. there's no answer for it really. Yeah. Right. But that's an aside. Well, I guess the thing is, can this Kalos become more than a clone? And I feel like Worf's answer is in a way to create a living Bible, let's say. Yeah. In other words, he's if Kalos has been reprogrammed with his scriptures, he's making the Pope a living embodiment of the scripture. And Okay. Um I would say that's more what he's doing, and I'd say that is a more profound thing than pretending he's really Kalos come back life like i think it's very sure. significant that Worf says like look we gotta tell them exactly what happened you right know? exactly you know we're gonna be very open about the fact that you know through cloning we took the blood from this dagger and you know he's really Kalis, and you know all of that but at the same time again it's the legendary Kalis, it's the theological Kalis that is the important thing the thing that is going to point klingon's to the way and so you have a living embodiment of the legendary Kalos I mean I think that's again a little more profound because this Kalos lives the legendary and the fantastic life the the real Kalos would have said oh yeah I went to a forge you know I got some metal and I made a batleth and that's how I made a batleth you know yeah the legendary Kalos which which story would you rather hear you know I mean the the fast you know well I'm not a big fan of religion and magical realism so no that's probably not the right i'm not probably not the right person to ask this but but in terms of a spectacle story i mean i know but we both i mean you know we both grew up catholic and i just i yeah. never had any patience for it you know yeah. and I, I think to a certain degree i think you 
you did. I enjoy the pageantry. Yeah, I don't. And so I guess that's that's also part of it as well. Yeah. You know, sort of I have some, some implicit personal bias here as well, which I, I definitely try and get over. But uh, I mean, I get a bunch of... I was going to say, I get some Catholic resonances from Klingon culture in general just because it is very symbolic and ritualized right. and very... Anytime the Klingons are doing a, a ritual, it's very... I mean, even the very, very beginning of this episode, you know, when he's doing this kind of vision quest, I mean, it's very weirdly shot. It it always looks cool, you know? It right. always looks exotic. It always looks strange and well, yeah, mysterious. And, and, and especially especially the, the, the scenes in the first 10 or 15 minutes of the in episode the cave, yeah. are, are very claustrophobic and very sweaty. And, you know, you really do get a sense that this is a, a very sort of like, this is exactly what Klingon religious ceremony yeah. would be. It would be just, you know... A uh, 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 visceral, and it would just be real. It's, it's you know? kind of like a, a a monastery with like an Indian sweat lodge. Like that's what it seemed like to me, you right. know. And and again, Klingon is they're they're taking, especially in this episode, it's very syncretic. You know, it's just we're taking a little bit. There, you can tell they're inspired by just religion in general yeah. to create the Klingons, which is good. You sure. know, it it helps it feel both familiar and very alien. Yeah, exactly. But I, but I think you know to step back and sort of take you know a, a longer view of what exactly is going on in this episode. You know, they talk a lot about how Klingon society is is sick and how Klingon society has yeah. many serious problems and needs to be to be fixed, right? And you know, if you go back all the way to like Sins of the Father, where Worf took discommendation instead of having this come yeah. out to protect. What what like what like that's that's the question at the at the heart of of all of these Klingon episodes is what exactly is war fighting to protect because maybe they should have another civil war like you know I, I, this is kind of you know because if you tr- try and keep fixing problems yeah. by papering over them with weird solutions that may or may not work but aren't really getting at the core of what the problem is Klingon society is never going to be able to become something else and something greater and something which is actually useful to the large part of the people that are not on the war council or whatever do you know what I mean like what does the average Klingon who's just like working at a garage think of all this stuff holy shit we're talking about America aren't we yeah sure <laughs> No, I mean, but that's true. I mean, and see, I don't know if this is this. The thing that I don't like about Klingon episodes is that this is the sort of like elite view of what's going on without really thinking about the implications of any of it. Were they ready to ask that question in 93, 94 quite yet? Maybe not. I don't think so. I think especially number one, given Star Trek's general philosophy that we still have at this point that everybody will be able to work together and we'll have a happy ending sure. you know and we'll figure it out given what happened uh in the world recently again the fall of the soviet union collapse of the berlin wall you know sure the germanies are about to reunite you know we have uh y- you know i i think the message that well another civil war would be the best thing for the klingons that, that wouldn't really have gone over well in America then. It still wouldn't go on in America. You know, do you think you know we would really have serious talk about we should have a civil war in America now? It'll fix all our problems. <laughs> I know everybody says you know if only, but uh, no, I don't think so. But I, I think, but I think that that's a false dichotomy. I mean, I don't yeah. think that a civil war in America would actually fix anything and would make things worse. Whereas you're the, right. Whereas Klingons, as portrayed, you know, to go back to to, to Star Trek, is that. They're they're imperialistic and they're warmongering and they I like all this fight they like fighting and this is how they solve all their problems so just get it out but just I mean have they, the I guess war. the thing is like, they don't want to because war very specifically says like why do we you know when when Goron is saying you know there's people are already starting to divide and people who believe it and people who don't believe it and Worf says like why do we have to fight about this this is you know our greatest you know profit come back like we should all be really happy like this right. is a this is a you know i guess Worf wants to well Worf wants to still Worf's goal is to see Klingon, the klingon from the fairy tale books that he read you know he wants to because when he was a kid all he he didn't grow up on the home world he grew up probably reading stories about you know kales and what life was like back then and he had this vision of a glorious Klingon empire. Well, I guess so. And I guess, you know, in a sense, we always talk about Worf as having the, the, the portrayal as like the born again or the person who can yeah. relate. And in a sense, I guess the other part of this, which I just sort of realized, is that Worf has a sort of immigrant perspective on the Klingon culture as well. You know, because you always hear about this kind of thing where, um, 
you know, uh, native born Americans, I guess. I mean, that's kind of a gross term, but I can't really think of another one. Uh, First generation. No, no, no. I mean, like people that were born in America, like you and me, uh, uh, yeah, as yeah, opposed yeah. to immigrants who were not okay. born here. Um, immigrants and non-immigrants, I guess. Uh, that native you know, Americans. We have a very no. I don't mean Native Americans. I know, I mean, I, you, you know but I mean. but I'm a Native American. Oh <laughs> Continue. Uh, yeah, that was bad choice of words. Anyway, uh, that. You know, I may have a very different opinion and a very different conception of what America is and what it means than yeah. an immigrant who came here from another country that perhaps was a lot worse in very serious ways. You know, we you know we have immigrants coming from countries where uh, uh, religious zealots are running around murdering you know children. So we don't really you know have that going on here as much. Now you know it's an open argument as to whether or not it still happens, but. Hey. You know, and so for me, it's like you always get that thing where immigrants, you know, you, you always hear about these sort of anecdotal stories about immigrants or whatever who have a very different opinion about America because they came here and it's a land of opportunity and they can do this and that and the other thing. And it's like both of the but, – but the point is not that one is wrong and one is right. Both is that like they're both right and both wrong at the same time. I mean, you know what I mean? And so did, like let, – Let's not go to immigration. Let's talk about New York City. You know, you and I are at the point where we think, you know, we know about the crap that happens in New York and, you know, we kind of hate it. But – Somebody moves in, you know, they're 24, they move to New York City, it's exciting, it's great, you yeah. know, and, you know, that that's the war perspective, that's, you I know, think so, yeah. that's the Klingon as an honorable, glorious, you know, spiritual and uh, whereas whereas someone who was born on Kronos and has lived there their entire life is probably just tired yeah you know like I don't I don't get the sense we don't that, yeah what how, I don't get I don't get the sense that being a Klingon is all that relaxing how yeah I mean how, how what what do you think the like physical conditions on Klingon are as far as standard of living probably do you think, not great yeah I mean compared to how life probably was in the glory days you know there probably isn't as strong of an economy as they would hope they they aren't they they're a culture that's generally conquered to get their resources and they're not conquering very much yeah you know? I, yeah i think so and i think if you go back to sort of the genesis of of, of the klingons as constructed the next generation which yeah. is that undiscovered country story about their moon and and sort of the yeah. federation having to to uh, come and rescue them, and they have kind of a shitty economy now, and all these kind of things. Yeah, we're I think, in more I think of a trade. Totally right. e- we're in more of a trade economy, and I don't think the Klingons are great traders. They're not going to be good at that, you know. But again, I think they that's... don't really have anything to offer in terms of you know technology or reason, you know, like all those right. things, you know. But, but let's you know, like last week we talked about the Klingon scientist and suspicions a little bit, and yeah. how it was very interesting that she was there, and she kind of like what well, she says that the Klingons on value science and all these kind of things. Isn't that kind of what? Worf is really talking about though is that there is a sickness at the heart of Klingon society which is that they sort of privilege one view of what it is to be a Klingon or one mode of being a Klingon above all else and if they're going to be able to fix their society and have sort of a healthy vibrant society again they're going to have to start you know, yes, Kalos can come back and that will be a nice thing for everybody, but they're also going to have to just start nuts and bolts, like not denigrating people that want to be scientists, for instance. Well, I mean, you know, we <laughs> there are plenty of people who become uh, service workers in this country and we're good at denigrating those. Um, sure. I mean, I, I, well, I think, yeah, but, but I think you know, that, that, yeah. that, that, you know, you get the sense that they treat uh, scientists on Kronos like we treat a McDonald's worker. I think that's a really good way to put you it, know, actually, yeah. For her, she, you know, this is what she does, and she's very good at it, and, you know, she likes it, or, you know, but, you know, she's not really given the respect that we wouldn't ordinarily afford a, somebody who is a preeminent scientist. Yeah, and yeah. I remember you told me once um, that, you know, your impression, or I don't know if this was actually mentioned in an episode, maybe in DS9, but... um you know, talking about like Klingon doctors, you said that the view was more like, oh, we're, you know, having a war against disease, you know, or whatever. That's, like that. that's more and, of like a fan theory. Okay. Than I think actually is in reality. But see, like that can fit under uh, this new definition of honor that, you know, K- Kalis the Pope is creating. Again, right. that, you know, we all have, you know, we're all warriors. You know, some are warriors in physical combat. You know, again, this. You know, a, do- a Klingon doctor is fighting against disease. You know, a Klingon engineer is, you know, braving the challenges of new, you know, like that. That's something which I think would 
fit within a spiritual teachings. And I think Worf's point in making him, you know, Klingon Pope is that there is an element of the spirituality that is undefined and that the government represented by Goron can't really hit. Well, that's, and that's, I think that's maybe the final thing to talk about in this episode is, is, you know, we haven't really talked about Gowron much and, Galron is kind of the embodiment of what is wrong with Klingon yeah. society. So, so what does it mean that the compromise leaves Galron in power? Do you know what I mean? Like, Galron is 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 a politician, and Galron is very very opportunistic, and Galron just wants to be the whatever he is. Grand of the, Puba, of, right? But the thing is, you know, at this point, Galron's claim to being the Grand Puba is legitimate. Sure, and you know, Worf has said that before. You know, in was that in Birthright? No, not Birthright. What was the episode where he was talking to his brother? And he, at one point he says, uh, is that Redemption? Maybe? That wasn't Redemption. I think that was oh, – I don't remember. But yeah, I know. But, you know, specifically about. he said, you know, like, look, you know, if, even if we don't agree, you know, Garon did win his position. And, you know, if – to put it this way, it, you know, it's very clear that within Klingon society, if you can defeat a leader in battle, you become the leader. You know, nobody's sure. nobody's defeated Garon in combat. If Kalis had defeated Garon in combat, nobody would be recognizing his uh, his right to lead. Kalis, you mean? K- yeah, if Kalis had beaten Garon in combat, no one would be recognizing Garon's right to lead. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. anymore. Yeah, Garon by defeating Kalis, it still says, "No, I'm the biggest badass here." And as as the Klingon, that makes me president. So I guess at the end of the day, maybe this, the, the kind of the, the, the conclusion here is that Klingon society just isn't ready, really, to fix itself. And so, maybe, and I think, yeah, and, and maybe, and maybe that's you know the the point of the episode is that Worf is the one Klingon or whatever. You know, and part of that is just because he's our main character in our TV yeah. show. But you know, part of it is that he is the outsider in this situation, and he, he is does able work to... with the Federation. He does like compromise, you know, and all right. of those things. Klingons don't really compromise much, sure. but you know, Worf understands that sometimes you need to, and it doesn't make one less Klingon. And I think yeah. in a way by making the solution to start to fix Klingon a compromise, that kind of paves the way to opening that. And I also think that, that at the end of the episode, of course, having Kalos agree to it yeah. is a small step forward as well because it kind of makes him a person. Yeah. Whereas before he wasn't. I mean, once he's, t- you know, Ga- Kalos doesn't even know until War finds out that he's a clone. You know, the priest knows this, you know, for the whole time, but... Kalis doesn't, and once he finds that out, you see him having a crisis of faith himself, you know? Yeah. I think there yeah. is a... That all happens off-screen, but I think... I frankly would be very interested in Kalis's Long Dark Night of the Soul that he had at that point, because he is somebody who is programmed with every single bit of religious truth and who feels that with every cell of his being, but knows that he was just created to be that and doesn't know... I mean, Data learns how to transcend his programming you know we've seen him for the past six years learning lessons about this yeah this is Kalis's first lesson about how to transcend his programming and again to his solution is he's going to take that as his foundation for how he's going to be space pope okay all right i'll go with that and he and garon are going to work together and get that kind of I, again i think the thing about klingons is that there is this warrior and the spiritual side and Garon is very much the warrior without spirituality. Kalis is the spirituality without the warrior in a way. And really, to have a full, integral Klingon society, you need both halves. I think this is the first step towards actually figuring out how to get both halves in a way that's non-competitive, which is a very interesting direction for Klingon to go. Well, I guess we'll have to find out what happens. Will I? In the future. Ooh. Maybe. So we're going to travel forward in time to the future? Yeah. Um, all right, yeah. Uh, I will give this episode six batleths. I'll give it seven locks of hair. Okay. Uh, well, let's talk about Second Chances, which, which is what the fuck? Another episode with, uh, you know, a, a weird clone. I I love loved this episode. This episode. <laughs> I, I really I really do like this episode a lot, and and I don't watch it that much, which is strange. But I guess I don't watch a lot of later seasons of TNG for whatever reason. So a lot of this is not new to me. But but I haven't seen these episodes in a while. Um, yeah, this is just a very 
it, it it's it's a very disturbing episode for for a couple of reasons, but I also think that it's a very uh, sweet episode. It's a it's, it's strange. Okay, I was gonna say there were a few, th- a lot of it. I genuinely. The episode really makes you think it's going to go in several directions and it goes in none of them in yeah. a way that at fir- when they first say, you know, okay, well, there's three windows to get out of this planet. You think, okay, they're going to obviously miss the first in the cold open and then halfway through they're going to try and get the second but something's going to happen. And as the third one's closing, they're going to get through it. That's And that's the episode I was preparing to see. And then in the cold open they meet other Riker and they're back on the ship. Okay, well, what's going to happen here? You know, during the scene at the end, you think, oh, well, is one Riker, you know, is is Lieutenant Riker going to kill, try and kill Commander Riker? You know, is he going to strand him on the planet at the end? You know, what's going to happen? How are they? And they do neither of those things. I mean, physical stakes turn out to be nothing in this episode. Yeah. You know, no, nothing on the planet actually is dangerous. This is the Enterprise crew. They know what well, they're doing. Well, except for the catwalk well collapsing but they get through it because he's Riker you know <laughs> um, the point is you know while there are moments of you know excitement you know no one is ever in actual any actual danger there are no you know mis- mysteries on the spaceship the data they find is mostly just data you know it's yeah. not doesn't have any function in the episode they seem to really want it but it's just kind of the reason why they're there yeah exactly well I think there's like I, yeah I agree with you but I think that you know and I think really this is an episode about Riker in a lot of ways and their and his their relationship with Troy, of course. Yeah. But I think that, you know, the very end of the episode when the two Rikers, you know, Lieutenant Riker is, is on the catwalk and collapsing. I think that uh, I could I mean, I know he doesn't die, but because I've, you know, I've seen this yeah. episode before. But I think that if you had watched this for the first time. That's what I thought. Like, yeah. Like, and I don't think you could have said that about the show a couple of seasons ago. I don't think that the show, I don't think that that would have been a possibility for him to die a couple seasons ago. Whereas in this version of the show that they've sort of constructed in the past couple yeah. of years, it, as it's become a little bit more dark, this I think you could see that happening and you could see that being the resolution of this plot, which is that Lieutenant Riker, unfortunately died on the away mission. And that was the end of the episode. But I thought that it would be Lieutenant Riker ends up still stuck on the planet. Right. (laughs) But instead what you get is now we have two Rikers in Starfleet. Yeah. And and Riker has a sudden twin. Right. And that's, what does that mean exactly? You know, I mean, let's get this out of the way right up front. This is a terrifying concept. And and one of the things that I like about the episode is that it could have been about the transporter and it's not. They sort of... They figure it out. They figure it out very quickly. It's very, very incidental. And that's not the point of the episode. They also make it clear that it was kind of just a fluke. That, you know, this is not something that they could probably ever replicate... But just the fact that, you know, we've talked yeah. about the transporter in the past and how, you know, it's sort of a little creepy sometimes. But and then we they've sort of started to raise some we questions had about this episode. Right. Yeah, where he, you know, they kind of go through every of the obvious, you know, things that could go wrong with the transport and saying, no, we can't. We're not going to do that. You know, there there is not going to be an episode of the next generation where, you know, someone goes into an alternate universe because of the transporter or where somebody, you know, whatever we beam back didn't live long. There's not going to be an episode of the next, you know, you're making faces at me. I mean, I hate you. <laughs> um, no. Well, the point is, you know, it, it's, you know, the, the episode with Barkley that is basically saying, oh, we've got all the kinks worked out. It's OK, you know, and yeah, and they don't and they don't like again, it's and they're finding even more. The more they explain about the technology, the more they make it clear that this stuff is safe for everyday use, the more interesting the malfunctions become well i think yeah i think there's a couple things there number one of course is that yeah it's safe for everyday use but that doesn't mean that a one in 10 million chance well, of something happening and eventually we, you know you drive a car every day but you can still get into an accident well driving a car is pretty dangerous actually but uh i would say more like flying or something i mean ah! flying is incredibly safe but you, you know you have like a one in you know 20 million chance yeah. of dying or something but you know a lot of people fly and so you're gonna someone's gonna beat the odds right yeah and people are gonna die i mean it happens so I think that in that sense, you know, the transporter is probably like so much safer than flying. It's, you know, got all these safety features built in yeah. and all these kind of things. And what I find interesting about this is that it wasn't anything to do with the transporter. It was the guy who was operating. It, uh, it was in it a up. way the safety feature that did this. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, well, it wasn't even the safety feature. It was the guy. It was the guy in operation well, who made a bad decision. Basically and, and what created. they say, like, oh, he put a, ne- a second beam on that. And But the thing is, we've seen them do clever little things like that all the time. I mean, how many times has, you know, O'Brien said, like, oh, I can't get him. All right, here's what I'm going to do, you know, and it's a million to one shot. This is the kind of stuff Scotty did, like, yeah. every day. You know, every episode he was doing rejiggering it and doing something weird with it. And now we're almost – now I'm kind of re-questioning all of the times that that's happened and saying, well, well what happened? I don't know because I think that, that – I don't want to make this into like a conversation about the technology of the transporter because who really cares? I it's care. Not the point of the episode. Well, you're kind of turning into a nerd. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I don't know. If, if, if you become a Trekkie and Trek about a successful, like we should just stop doing the show, right? Like that was the whole point of the show was to see if you could become a Trekkie. Yeah, but we've seen it. And so basically you're saying we've seen the – but will I stay a Trekkie? I mean, will I really love Tuvok? I think everybody's really hanging on <laughs> for me to finally be Tuvok. Like, right. the, the people will be there through all of Deep Space Nine. Then they'll be the first Voyager episode. And they'll say, well, I learned what I came here to do. I'm done. Yeah, maybe. Uh, that that They make it clear in this episode that the choice that the transporter chief made to create a second beam was really weird. Like, And so... That kind of is the show hedging its bets a little bit, I think, and saying, well, yeah, we do all this crazy stuff and we can fix things, yeah. pull things out of our ass and blah, blah, blah. But this guy, I don't know what the hell he <laughs> was thinking. Like, that guy is just nuts. You know? Well, you have to wonder if, because obviously at the time, the transporter guy got Riker out at the last second, you know, and, right. you know, he was probably congratulating for you know, saving him at the nick of time. I'm sure Riker was thrilled with the guy, you know? And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean... I would be. Probably even, you know, again... If I would you, offer to give him a hand job. Hey, um, you would do that anyway. Uh, um, I would. I mean, I think if you look in the records of any time the Enterprise has done some, something weird, like, I feel like another ship would be like, well, why would they do that? Maybe. I don't know. I guess so. But this is all... But it's all incidental. But I, but I, I do, I do think it's kind of terrifying that this oh, can happen. You yeah. know, and I think it's kind of terrifying that this can happen and nobody realizes that it happens, and the guy just is there for. Seven I would say, you know what, an even worse version of the episode would be would be they beam one Riker up and but the other two Rikers and they've created the third, and the other two Rikers are just stuck there for eight years. Yeah, what would you do in that situation? Play a lot of poker. I guess so. Um, I, I suppose so, and I have think a lot that, of sex. Oh. Uh, this is an interesting episode for Riker because it puts him in, in effect, a younger version of himself. Yeah. It puts him in a, I think the reason why he's so combative in this episode, you know, Data and, and, and Worf kind of have that conversation about, you know, if there was a, if there was another you yeah. would you get along with them and, and Worf very, you know. Uh, cleverly says, well, no, because I'm kind of a dick and I'm hard to get along with, yeah. which we all know is true. And then he makes the point about basically it's a Jungian shadow kind of thing. Right. And so they're very much the same, but they're very much not the same at the same time. And so, you know, the sort of I, I like the episode because it doesn't spend a lot of time on our Riker. Yeah. Because that's not really the point. The point is... Showing showing why Riker made the decisions that he made to get to the place that Commander Riker is in yeah. by focusing on Lieutenant Riker. Well, that's – I mean because you – one of the things that they've always made kind of clear is that at this point, you know, Riker all but worships Picard. You know, the two of them have – you know, he always wants to be with Picard in yeah. a lot of ways. I think they – especially best of both worlds made that clear like he's gonna be sure he doesn't care if he's second in command as long as it's second in command to picard if somebody else were the commander of the enterprise you know were the captain of the enterprise Riker would probably start looking for another command but he's happy where he is because he likes the people he works at he likes his job yeah he kind of knows that again i think he knows that if he's captain he's not going to be allowed on away missions and he enjoys that he's good at that he likes the action he likes having the actual day-to-day charge of what's going on you know that's what Riker likes to do Riker has all of his reasons for staying as number as you know his number one and you know he knows that this Riker has spent all the years alone and he hasn't formed the relationships that commander Riker has and he hasn't you know 
seen really that – I mean I, I don't think Lieutenant Riker has internalized the fact that, you know, as a captain, he's not going to go on away missions. You know, I don't think he – he hasn't seen us closely. He hasn't worked with the captain. He doesn't know exactly what the burdens on his shoulders are. He doesn't, yeah. you know, I, I think, you know, this version of Rikers, you know, wants to be a Kirk-like captain and realize, and, you know, the right, you know, Commander Riker realizes that you can be more Kirk-like as the first officer. I guess that's true. I think that's a good way to put it. And I think that, but what I like about the episode is it doesn't yeah. make either one of them wrong. No. You know, I mean, because the thing is, there, there's, a, there's a strain in this episode, which is, you know, sort of thinking about, okay, what would a younger version of myself think about the decisions I've made to get to the point that I'm at? And very clearly, I mean, Lieutenant Riker doesn't agree with some of the decisions yeah. that Commander Riker has made. And but Commander Riker doesn't care in a way. Like, well, he, I think he makes a specific point to say, like, look, I would make those decisions all over again, you know, at one point. Well, it's kind of I think there's there's a strain in the episode, which is really sort of, I guess, bittersweet, which is that Riker has made Commander Riker has made all of these decisions because he wanted to be a captain by the age of 35. And then he gets into a position on the enterprise where he really likes where he is. He likes working with Picard. He likes the job he's doing and he's been offered at least two commands and he's turned them both down because he he likes being first officer, which is fine. He likes the people he's with. He likes the relationship that he has with Troy now. But I guess the question for me is Lieutenant Riker, I think is a little more like, Right, Commander Riker definitely is combative towards Lieutenant Riker, but Lieutenant Riker is also combative towards Commander well, Riker. And I think that what what the what the real meat of this question is for me is, you know, wh- why did Commander Riker make these decisions to sort of abandon his relationship with Troy? Because they obviously had a lot of passion. Yeah. I mean, when Troy walks into Lieutenant Riker's quarters, it's like, bam, let's go. Yeah. She's obviously uncomfortable because you know they they, yeah. they you know she she have a very different relationship with he, Riker at this point. Meanwhile, he just kind of had a you know he had an meanwhile break and he's seeing you know his girlfriend. Right, he had yeah. he had eight years on a deserted island to think yeah. about his girlfriend, so he obviously like wants to get in that. Um, and what was Troy before she joined the Enterprise? Like, what was she doing? I because, don't know. They never really say. Yeah, because I always got the sense that she didn't really have kind of that much going career-wise, like, when they first, you know, got together. Like, she again, she was probably a local psychiatrist, you know, psychiatrist. She was— I mean, I think she was in Starfleet, and I think that yeah. she was posted on ships, perhaps, or on a planet or whatever. I but, don't know. But, you know, the point is, I always got the sense that after— you know, you know, she kind of did a diving into work and then just excelled at it. Well, I think that, the, but, but, yeah, but I think what I'm trying to get at is Commander Riker made all these decisions to sort of like focus on his career, abandon his relationship with Troy, uh, to get where, and and Lieutenant Riker is looking at him and saying. Okay, you you fo- you know Troy says well he fo- yeah. wants to wanted to focus on his career. We we stopped talking as much. I didn't see him. Then I got posted to the Enterprise, yeah. and so this kind of happened. And we've developed this nice close friendship. But I think Lieutenant Riker is wondering, you know, okay, fine, you you wanted to focus on your career, and you sort of you know broke up with your girlfriend, but. To what end? You know, I don't think that Lieutenant Riker really thinks that that Commander Riker made the right decisions because at the end of the day, he didn't get where he wanted to be. And he's posted on the same ship as his ex-girlfriend, but they're not together. Yeah, if he had So to him, it looks like, you know... If he had come back to Captain Riker, you know, and his wife, you know... Deanna Riker, you know, I think he would have a very different view of that. I think so. And and I think the but the question of the episode is 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 Lieutenant Riker correct or not? And I think he is and he isn't, right? Well, because again, you you know, this is a this episode reminds me a lot of tapestry, I think, very deliberately. Yeah. Um, you know, especially the lieutenant commander and the uh uh, um, Captain and Mr. Picard, you know, th- those kind of reminded me of each other as well. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. I don't know. I think it's very interesting. I like that the two Rikers kind of hate each other because it says very – Riker doesn't know himself. He doesn't know how to talk to himself. Right. No, n- Nobody would ever be able to talk to Riker the way Riker is talking – Commander is talking to Lieutenant, you know? Can you yeah. ever see Commander Riker – even though this is a Commander Riker who settled in – 
who knows what the rest of his career is probably going to be, you know, who's has his job that's exciting, but he's still really good at, you know, nobody could talk to him like that. Well, well, he doesn't, he reacts to, he talks to Lieutenant yeah. Riker and sort of reacts to Lieutenant Riker in the same way that it reacts to Ensign Rowe. Yeah, because any, but anytime somebody's talked. visceral dislike of, of him almost, which is very strange. Because Commander Riker is used to being the coolest guy in the room. Okay. Uh, at the very beginning, he is, you know, playing the trumpet and a band. But, you know, he's he goes on all these away missions. He's handsome. He's but dashing. what does but what happens in that scene, which I think is what's painting what happens in the rest of the episode, which is that Troy is kind of a dick to him a little bit and 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 requests a song which she knows he has trouble with. But I mean, that's it's I I find that. I, I, I think that's done more just like affectionate teasing. Like he's going to blow the solo. He's not going to like make a complete ass of himself. He's going to, you know, flub a note or two, but everybody's still going to like it because at the end of the day, it's not like they paid to go to see it. You know, how many bad uh, arts activities have we seen on the Enterprise? If Well, sure. But my point is that 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 it's setting it up to be not as quite competent or cool as we think he is. That that's my point is that there are things that he can't do. And so but but I I would say maybe not. But but that's I don't think it hits as cool anymore. If he was actually playing the solo, he would try if he weren't called by Picard, he would do his damnedest to do the solo. And even if he messed it up, he would still play it off and everyone would still be having a good time. Sure. I think that's you know, it's the kind of thing where. The fact that she's able to, like, tease him and take him down a peg kind of still establishes how kind of cool he is because, you know, do you you know what I mean? Like, he's that unflappable that he can fuck up a solo, you know, that his, you know, one of his best friends is teasing him to. And that's, I, I, that's the sense I got from that Yeah, but I think, I think that there's something deeper going on there, which is that he doesn't always know what to do. No. I mean, and you see that in the pissing contest in the poker scene as well, where they're obviously fighting with themselves about whatever. Yeah. About Troy, about their careers, about their father. I mean, who knows, But I mean, they're right? externalizations of each other's worst fears, Well, too. exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think Lieutenant Riker looks at Commander Riker and goes, I do not want to be that. And I think Commander Riker looks at Lieutenant Riker and goes, wow, I was messed up. You know, it, it's almost like the therapy scene in Frame of Mind, you know, th- they're externalizations of each other's internalized psyches. You yeah. know, having Lieutenant Riker say, you know, you're always number, you know, you're always the second best, you know, you're not getting anywhere is a way for commander Riker in a way to deal with the fact that as comfortable as he is he knows damn well that that's not where he wanted to be in life and yeah while he's accepted that and while he's happy where he is I mean this is a season that talks about regret a lot you know tapestry talked about you know regret for the choices that you made in the alternate ways and you know there is a point you know commander Riker seeing lieutenant Riker wooing you know, Counselor Troy and doing a really good job of it, you know, he regrets that, you know, maybe he didn't, you know, get that. You know, Lieutenant Riker sees a higher up position, sees the possibility of captain, and he regrets that he didn't make that choice, you know? Yeah, no, I think you're right. He, and sees, I, I, he sees Commander Riker as someone who had all the opportunities and squandered them, yeah. Yeah, and I think that, you know, we don't talk a lot about episode titles because they're normally just whatever, but I think this one encapsulates kind of the yeah. theme of the episode, you know, second chances. It's all about, you know, looking back and saying, okay, what I, you know, it, it's interesting because usually it's portrayed as looking back and saying, did I make the right choice? What's interesting about this episode is that it's able to do the opposite and say a younger version of yourself looking into the future and seeing what the choices made. Yeah. You know, it's kind of the opposite of tapestry in a yeah. way. Uh, you know, tapestry could have been called second chances as well. Um, and I think that, you know, at the end of the day, whatever happens with Lieutenant Riker and whatever choices he makes, I think that he's going to make them kind of in opposition of him, of, of Commander Riker, just because he already knows what happens if he makes those choices. And so I think, you know, he, maybe he's going to push himself to do things in a different way. But at the same time, he also is making some of the same choices because he's giving, he's getting, He's giving up Troy. He's, 
getting a job. He's going to obviously vie for promotion, and while it may take a little longer, I mean, he'll well. That's my point. You know, is that is that he is going to make the same sacrifices that that Commander Riker yeah. made all those years ago? But he wants to get to the place where Commander Riker thought he was going to go. But again, give him ten years. You know, maybe he will feel different. We don't know. Yeah. You know, they do make it clear that it's the intro. You know, Lieutenant Riker. While he did have all these solitary years, it essentially as is as if he was in stasis, you know, and yeah. you know he had no interim choices to make. All he was really concerned about was the day to day survival, you know. And what about Troy though? Because well, yeah, what about Troy? Well, I at first I thought she was a problematic element in this episode because she very much comes across as very passive in this episode. But I think that. She's confused as hell, and well, I, I don't blame her. I think she's confused, and I think that she's, you know, I don't, I don't, number one, I don't buy that Commander Riker and Troy don't want to fuck. Like, no, and I, I think we've, and we've said that as much. They, I, I, I think they're, it, they're, the, they're, sh- the they're, show's all about said that they still have a, there have been nights where they both have a little too much to drink and tend forward and they, they have sex. Exactly. Like, they're on short, know. they, they have a shore leave coming up. They will take it together. You know, we've seen, we've seen them going out on dates on shore leaves before, you know. And I think it's interesting that they have that kind of relationship. I, I, I don't, you know, I don't exactly know what the reason is for why they're not married at this point because you know they obviously still like each other and love each other and have this very strong connection maybe it's just kind of not a romantic connection i, I don't mean, know, you know and, i think they make it clear that they you know are a you know they always say you know we're friends but they are, are extremely close they almost have i mean it's not it's somewhere in between romantic and brotherly sisterly, you know. It's no, I don't. Uh, but, well, I mean, they fuck, but you know. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> um, I well, I think you know. At the the other thing too is that you know they all three of them could just get married. I mean, that's a possibility too. I'm sure, <laughs> I was, I'm sure polygamous marriages are legal yeah, in the Federation. But when, when <laughs> Troy had that arranged marriage, she was totally open to three ways. Yeah, there you go. Um, but I think that you know what what I like about it is that you know it it. it at first, you think, okay, Troy is being passive, and Troy is just kind of like, again, it's this episode where Troy gets chased by a man, but yeah. it's different because it's Riker, number one, and number two, she goes for it in a very, very obvious way because when they get to the scene where Crusher and Troy are doing their weird girl exercises Troy. again... <laughs> At least it wasn't jazzercise this time. Yeah. <laughs> like, what is going on here? Uh Troy is the one who goes in for the kiss, and Troy yeah. is the one who really says, okay, I'm making this choice to do this. Well, the thing is for her, I mean, she has to realize that this is I, – I mean, she has a version of Will Riker and, that you know she's known, and she's had this you know very specific type of relationship with and – that she now feels very, you know, comfortable and friendly and close to and, you know, loves dearly, but, you know, doesn't want to get married for one of any thousands of reasons, frankly. I yeah. Mean, again, I think it's very clear that Riker is comfortable and doesn't really want to make any changes. And I can't see Troy, you know, really worrying too much. You know, obviously it's not been something that she's lost any sleep over, you know, until yeah. she has to deal with it. In a way, if so if... Let's say that this transporter incident hadn't happened, that there wasn't a clone of Riker on the Enterprise in the past eight years, and that Riker, there was only one Riker the entire time, he was stranded for eight years and he came back. This would be an old boyfriend from years ago that she had thought dead coming back and... I think it would be a very different thing Yeah, while she would still be very reticent and, you know, she had already grieved and she had already moved on, it's not... Nobody could blame her for, you know... He's persistent and, you know, he spends time with her and, you know, she begins to rekindle their feelings. Yeah. The fact that there was a version of Riker on the ship the entire time is an extra wrinkle, but it's one that – but at the same time, you know, the Riker that becomes Thomas Riker, you know, Lieutenant Riker is still her old – you know, as far as he's concerned, he's her old boyfriend who was – stranded all those eight years the fact that you know he tells her you know you were what got me through you know that's not unflattering to her and i think after a while yeah again she while she settled her feelings with commander Riker, lieutenant Riker is rekindling this in her and i think for a while she just kind of 
does go with it. And then especially when, you know, Dr. Crusher says, like, look, you have my permission. Right. You know, she figures, well, why not? I mean, she makes it clear that these were feelings she had the entire time. It's not like these are coming out of nowhere. It's not like there's something that didn't exist. Her relationship transformed. Yes. Well, yeah, I agree with that. But it comes I, from somewhere. But yeah, it does. But I also think that, you know, you have to look at it in the context of, of her protecting herself as well. Yeah. Because of course the the episode makes it very clear that, that what happened between them was, was very painful for her. And, you know, I'm sure yeah. it was painful for Commander Riker as well, but she is kind of, you know, very deliberately holding herself back from Lieutenant Riker in the beginning of the episode because she she's protecting yeah. herself from that pain again. And he I just think come back and said, "Baby, it's going to be different this time. I swear I'll stay." You know? Yeah. And so, does she believe him? I don't know. You know? And I yeah. think that's kind of the question at the heart of the episode as well. Is is does she get a second chance as well? Well, right? I mean, that's it. You know, Commander Riker says, "You know, listen, you know." I made this decision. I would make this decision again and... Oh, yeah. Well, that's a great scene. I mean, Yeah, like, uh, we're still the same person. Even though we had some interim time, like, that's who this guy is. He's the kind of guy who eight years ago would have left you. You know, if he had had that chance, if this guy had gotten out, he wouldn't have, you know, married you. You know, he still was never going to marry you. And as we see, that's what he does, you know. And it's very interesting that his solution... Again, we've seen this several times, you know, with... uh uh, uh, Picard and what's her name? Uh, Bosch. No, no, the other with the, the the astro. Yeah, sure. Yeah, the astro cartography Nor- lady Norris, I think, or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's another case where he says, "Well, we could get married, you know." And she doesn't want, you know. She says, "My career is just as important, and I'm not giving this up, and I like my life too," you know. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, that that's what Troy says, and I think that the interesting thing too is that you know the episode kind of realizes that, you know, Lieutenant Riker would make the same choices again and perhaps would be even more aggressive about them because he just lost eight years of his life. You yeah. Know? And so if you're kind of in that situation, you want to get back to, to normal quote unquote, as soon as possible. And for, and for Troy, you know, Lieutenant Riker in a sense is the person she left eight years ago. In a sense, he's not, of course, because he's had different experiences on the planet, but in his sort of interpersonal relationships, he's pretty much the same person and his level of experience in a sense. Yeah. But he is a different person because he has lived alone on a planet for eight years and whatever he's happened, if you're the sum of your experiences, as, as yeah. some people say, he is a different person Which I at think this you point. Are, yeah. And the episode makes that clear because at the end he goes by the name Thomas instead of Will, that that she would want to make clear to Lieutenant Riker that she's a different person now yeah. that that I think Lieutenant Riker is sort of viewing her as the version of Troy that she was eight years ago. Yeah, I was going to say that's, that's it. She's not who she is. Yeah, that's exact. And I see her getting caught up in that, but I see at the end of the episode and the fact that she ends the episode, they the pull Riker, back. Yeah. Yeah. At the end with, you know, she and Riker, you know, he's holding her hand and they're obviously going to have a very weird conversation, you know, next, um, you know, but it begins that's the thing. She may get caught up in this, but at the end, I think she realizes that her decision to focus on her own career and to – she's gotten more out of being Riker's friend than she – I think she thinks she would have as his wife. And yeah. I think she – you know, you talk about regret. I don't – while she certainly, in, you know, appreciates the opportunity to re-explore these feelings, I think – it's it's kind of a weird vacation for her, you know, and at yeah. the end of the day, everyone kind of goes back to their lives as they wanted them to be and the lives that they'd chosen because, I mean, this all series also makes it very clear that, you know, your life is what you choose it to be. There is nothing like destiny or anything like that right. in the Star Trek universe. You are, you know, you are your talent and the people you're with and what you do and, you know... She likes being the counselor on the Enterprise just as much as, you know, Riker likes being the first, you know, officer. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, we'll leave it there, I think. Yeah. The one the one thing I do want to say, though, is that, um, you know, and this is kind of – I wouldn't bring this up, but it's, it's kind of a fun thought exercise is – and I don't know how seriously the writers actually – you know, took this idea, but uh, one of the one of the ideas that they had was actually to kill Commander Riker and have Lieutenant Riker like take I, over. Yeah, and I can see a show like now doing that. I can see a show now doing that absolute now doing that absolutely, and I think it would have been. 
I think it would have been a really sort of intriguing idea, but I don't know this. It's far. a little too dark. It's a little too dark, and it also doesn't this far in the. Sh- I mean, I'm sure they could have made it work, yeah. but I think this far in the show's run, we're at the end of the sixth season, I, to sort of spend time reestablishing the character of Riker in the last season, I think probably maybe not would have been the best use of their time. So I'm kind of glad they didn't do it. And I'm kind of glad that they left it the way it is because, you know, it is kind of a very Star Trek thing where the second chance you get is to have both people just kind of off doing their own thing. You know, no one gets hurt. And I was going to say, it frankly opens the door for, you know, we could have the two of them again and they have to team up to do an adventure. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I will give this episode... Eight transporter accidents. Okay. I will give it seven clones. Okay. Uh, well, as always, if you have thoughts about either of these episodes that you would like to share with us, and, and perhaps we will share them on the show, uh, please go to the post at trekaboutshow.com for this episode. Uh, always, 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 please follow us on Twitter at trekaboutshow. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekaboutshow. And as we say every week... If you like the show, leave us a positive iTunes review. Next week, we are surprisingly finishing up the sixth season. What? No. Yeah. That can't be. It is B. B. Arthur, she's on the episode. Does she play a Vulcan? She's not, but someone famous is in one of the episodes, and I will not say who it is. McClanahan? Maybe. We are talking about Timescape and Descent. (laughs) 